welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, English Standard Version. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty containing the things you have been taught. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the English Standard Version. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 the English Standard Version. I'm Victoria Kay, and today on Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books, we are continuing our discussion on the relevance of the Bible today with R.D. Fierro, an author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., what kind of clever greeting do you have for everyone today? Greetings, everyone. That will work. I like someone who can say a lot in a few words, or two words to be exact. For the last few weeks, we've been starting on a light note with some humor pieces that Crystal Sea has produced just to introduce ourselves. Why break with tradition now? Whoa! Can you believe that storm? I thought I was going to see a whale swim by me in the parking lot. Whoa, yourself, my weather-beaten and whale-watching workmate. We haven't even greeted the Crystal Sea listening listeners yet. Before they hear about meteorology, they might want to hear about onomatology and geography. Oh, no, who? Onomatology. You know, the study of names. Like my name, R.D., and your name, Jeromeister. Jero what? No, no, that's not my name. It's J- tut there, J.O.? Let me finish saying hey to the folks. Hey, folks. Greetings from the headquarters of that world-famous publishing company, Crystal Sea Books. World-famous? Dude, we're the ones who keep saying we're not famous. Didn't you say we were only at double digits in listeners? Well, maybe. But if you double the number we had, it would be quadruple where we started. And doubling that would be like octubling our original digits. Huh? Anyway, who knows how many quads or ox are standing right outside the door right now. With this weather, no one is standing right outside the door, and I'm starting to wish I had stayed there. Anyway, 
My name is Jake's J. Ray. So much focus on you today. All right. I'll say you are the Ray that makes my way to the dock of the bay seem as bright as clay and without dismay. Is that okay, JJJ? As bright as clay? As bright as clay? Wait, clay isn't bright. What are you saying? I'm saying it's a lovely day to be singing the praises of the boss and his book. And if we did so outside, we'd literally be <coughs> singing in the rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that coming up. Hold on. I'm singing hold on, hold on. in the yep, rain. Just got word from legal. We don't have clearance to use that. Sorry, dude. Let's remember why we're here. At this point, I'm having a hard time remembering where I am, much less why I came. Well, that is why we're here. To remind the folks of what Crystal Sea Books does. For starters, we write books. Well, I'm pretty sure our listeners know that by now. All double digits of them. Or quadruple. (laughs) However many of them there are. I mean, our name is Crystal Sea Books. But they may not know we do audio versions of our books. Or prayers and music. Well, I don't want to change the name to Crystal Sea Prayers and Music. Even though our prayers and music are awesome. Awesome. Oh, man. After today, I'm going to need some prayers. And I wasn't suggesting we change the name, only telling the folks about what we do. Well, J-Ray, why didn't you just say no, that? No, my name's not J-Ray, it's Jim. J, it's not about you or me. It's about the boss. After all, he is the one who puts the sunshine in the day and the rainbows in the night. Dude, wait. You can't see rainbows in the night? Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. At any rate... I hope that the folks are understanding that even though we have a serious purpose, promoting our boss and all, my main man Jay here, and I, and all our other friends who sing in the rain. Is what? What's up? Marcus here. Victoria here. Fitz, nice to meet you. Like to enjoy ourselves, whether the rainbows are out in the day or the night. Sometimes one of us has more fun than the other. And that's what our stories and books can help you and your friends do. Have some fun. Help you enjoy the one true sun who keeps the sun shining and the moon glowing. After all, any storm is easier to take when we know that the one who made the rain will be along with the rainbow at just the right time. So go to crystalseabooks.com and get moving. We have all kinds of ways to get you started. Links to our stories, exciting scenes from audiobooks, epic poems, songs, A beautiful blog that is written by another of our team members, Darlene. And sometimes she has no idea what she's missing when she's not here at our world-famous headquarters. So take it from Jay, uh, my my friend here. The name's still Jerry. Me, R.D., and the whole Crystal Sea singing crew for today. Visit crystalseabooks.com where... We're not famous, but our boss is. Wow. It took Jerry a little while to get his name in there, didn't it? Well, one of the great things about Jerry is his persistence. Indeed. Well, let's persist in our discussion about the Bible and its continued importance to today. So far in our programs, we have seen that we consider the Bible, the Word of God, to be inspired, inerrant, and infallible. And we saw last time 
that we can be confident that the text we read in our Bibles today is the same as that that was contained in the original documents, the autographs. All this has been leading up to the really big question, how can we know that the Bible is the Word of God? And we ended last week's program by giving a brief overview of how you would start to answer this question. But you said that you'd like to start today by reminding people why the question itself is so important. Yes, I would. I think it's a good idea before you start out on a trip or a journey to not only know where you're going, but also why you're going there. And it's been my experience that just about everybody during the course of their life is going to ask the question, why am I here? What am I doing here? Does my life have a purpose? They're searching for meaning in their own life. And a lot of times they're asking this question on two different levels. The first level, of course, is for themselves individually. They're asking this because they want to know if there are certain life choices they can make, about who they should marry or what career they should choose. They want to find out if their life has a meaning for themselves, but a lot of times they're also asking the question in a broader sense. They're asking it about their family and about their really big family, the human family. Is there a reason that men were put on this small globe in one corner of a vast cosmos? One of the ways in which we know that this question is very common among all kinds of people is the widespread popularity of books that supposedly provide the answers to these questions. There's just about always one book on some bestseller list somewhere that supposedly is the revelation of wisdom from the ancient past, wisdom that came from the ancient oracles or mystics that has now been recently rediscovered, or other books that supposedly tell you the secret to the universe. If the questions about, do we have a purpose, why are we here, weren't so common, then these books wouldn't find a following, but they do. They find a following, and hundreds of thousands or even millions of people will buy a book looking for the answer. And besides the books, we also know that today, DNA websites are popular among people, websites that offer the opportunity to do historical or genealogical research, or research about a person's ancestry, are also becoming increasingly popular. People want an answer to the question, not only why am I here, but how did I get here? So I think it's fair to say that in our culture and in many cultures around the world, there's a widespread hunger for context, the context of our lives, the context of our choices, the context of what we're supposed to be doing in this life. And in a very real sense, the Bible is the book that provides us the ultimate answers to these questions. The Bible provides the answers to some of the greatest questions that mankind has ever faced. What is the origin of the universe? What is the origin of life? What is the origin of intelligence? What is the origin of sin? And what is the origin of love, grace, and mercy? And you can add to those basic questions also, what is mankind's destiny? The Bible is the book that provides us the answers to all those questions. And so if we don't read or study the Bible, we lose a very important, and I would contend, the most important source of providing context for our lives. But of course, the Bible isn't the only book or story that some would claim provide those answers. No, of course it's not. There are also many other books or sources that supposedly provide answers to those ultimate questions. And that's why I think it's important for us to understand how we can distinguish the Bible from those other books and sources that offer what are, in effect, competing truth claims. 
And I don't think we should ignore those other sources or books, stories, legends, whatever they may be. I don't think we should ignore them, but a complete discussion of how those other sources compare and contrast with the Bible is a little bit beyond the scope of today's program. But after studying this subject for 30 plus years, I think that the Bible can be clearly distinguished from those competing truth claims, and I think it can be distinguished in ways that support the Bible's reliability and validity. A few shows back, you mentioned that you sometimes talk about two rebellions, one redemption, as a way for helping people to start to understand the grand saga of creation, the fall, and redemption. Is that part of what you're referring to? Absolutely. We can't understand why we're here or how we got here or what our purpose is unless we understand that we are all part of a really big story, really the biggest story of all time. And so we need to know what that story is all about. For instance, let's imagine that you pick up a book and it's a love story. And it's a love story that's set against the backdrop of a great war. Well, certainly parts of that story are going to be common no matter when that story takes place, but other parts of the story are going to be vastly different depending on whether that love story occurred during World War II, the Norman conquest of Britain in the 11th century, or Hannibal's invasion of Italy during the 3rd century BC. Depending on which of those wars we were talking about, there'd be a huge difference in the behavior of the two lovers. There'd be a difference in what they do, in where they go, in the kind of comments they would make, in the kind of food that they would be talking about. There would just be huge differences. Well, reading and studying the Bible allows us to get a sense of our own history and allows us to place ourselves in the context of the grand story that's been unfolding ever since the dawn of creation. As a brief review, the Bible tells us that man is not the only sentient race that God has ever created. God also created the angelic order. Well, unfortunately, both men and angels, or at least a portion of the angels, ultimately rebelled against God. But there was a significant difference in how those rebellions started. As far as we can tell from the Bible, when the portion of the angels that fell, that we now call demons, when the demons rebelled against God, there's no indication that there was any external source of temptation that was placed in their path. And the demons that fell had a direct apprehension and knowledge of God. They knew that God existed. They knew he sat on the throne. They knew that he was the creator. When Adam and Eve were created, they also knew that God had created them, and they had direct apprehension of God in a certain sense. But Adam and Eve were created as physical beings, unlike the demons who were spiritual beings. Adam and Eve fell because they had an external source of temptation placed in their way, namely the temptation offered by Satan in the guise of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. Satan tempted Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she did, and then she gave some of the fruit to Adam. Adam and Eve fell after being tempted. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve's fall did not just affect their own lives, but it also affected the lives of their children and all who would follow them, which includes all of us today. Unlike in the case of the angels who fell, after Adam and Eve fell, God initiated a covenant, what we call the covenant of grace, to provide for their restoration and the restoration of at least a portion of their descendants. And God chose to redeem some of the race of men, 
But there's no mention of a similar redemption for the demons, the fallen angels. Why do you think that is? I wish I knew, but I don't. But I think it's an interesting subject for prayer and meditation, because I think that it helps those of us who have experienced God's mercy to more fully appreciate that mercy. At least part of the answer lies in the fact that when God kicked the demons out of heaven in response to their rebellion, he kicked them out of heaven after they had not had any external temptation placed in their way. But when men fell, they had fallen because of an external source of temptation. When God kicked the demons out of heaven, he put on display his justice, his omnipotence, his power. But what he did not do was demonstrate that he is also a God of genuine love, mercy, and compassion. After Adam and Eve fell and God began his plan of redemption, he began the covenant of grace. At that point, God was putting on display the fact that he was not only a God of justice and power, but that he was also a God of compassion and mercy. But even beyond that, the Bible is also our assurance that that covenant of grace will finally be fulfilled in the distant future, or at least in the future, whether it's distant or not. So if we don't read and study the Bible, we miss all of that. We miss the big story. We miss the origin of everything. And so there's just no way that we can comprehend as fully the part that God has designed for us in his grand plan, because there are parts of the story that we either miss entirely or we don't understand nearly as well as we should. It reminds me of Shakespeare's observation that all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Well, there are certainly some very close parallels to be sure between that observation and how the Bible describes the unfolding of human history, but there's at least one critical difference. In a stage play, there are the stars, there are primary actors, actors with speaking parts, and then there are other actors, and then in some scenes there are extras, and the extras may just stand around or just be part of the backdrop. But in God's story, in God's drama, there are no extras. Every single person is important. Every single person has a role to play. Every single person is meant to have a meaningful relationship with God. So the better that we understand the Bible, the more prepared we are to fulfill our role in that grand drama. We can make sure that we're not extras by making sure that we read the whole script, if you will, that we apply ourselves, that we read and study the Bible, so we can have a better understanding of how God has designed the world and the universe. And if we do, then that makes us better prepared to play a meaningful role in that world and universe. And that's why we're doing these opening episodes of Anchored by Truth on the Bible. We want people to find a renewed interest in understanding for themselves what the Bible says. We also want them to rediscover their own role in the big story so they're not limited by the small stories that swirl around us every day. Exactly. But of course, if the Bible isn't truly the Word of God, there would be no point in us investing time and confidence in it. And that's why it's important to explore reasons why we can have confidence that the Bible has attributes that support its claim to being God's Word. Yep. So last time we were starting to take a very brief look at four lines of evidence that help support the claim that the Bible makes for itself in 2 Timothy 3.16. But before we return to those four specific lines of evidence, I'd like to take a second to look at what I think would be the attributes of a book or any form of communication that purported to be from God. 
Let's remember that in the Christian view, that according to the Christian faith, God is a being that's radically different from us. God is self-existent, he's infinite, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. In short, God is transcendent. That means that God is not a part of his creation any more than a painter is part of a painting that he paints. But, unlike the painter, in addition to being transcendent, God is also imminent, which means he's capable of interacting with his creation, and he can do so in any manner that he chooses, in any manner that is consistent with his sovereign purposes. So, with such a being, if he were to make a revelation to any of his creatures, such as men, that revelation would not only reflect the attributes of the creation, but it would also have to be consistent with that being's character. That is to say, that the revelation would not only have to be true, accurate, and consistent with the reality of creation, but it would also have to possess the fingerprints of a supernatural entity, a divine entity. And the Bible does this. So, in essence, you're saying that any communication that authentically came from God would reflect God's attributes as well as making sense in the real world. As the Bible says in Isaiah, God's word will not return to him void. Well, in the short time we have left, can you give us an example of how we can see that the Bible is also grounded firmly in the real world? Sure. It's abundantly clear that the Bible is grounded in history. It's filled with specific dates, times, places, names, and even secular historians will use the Bible as a reference document when they're beginning their investigations into the ancient Middle East. And there have been some remarkable examples of when the Bible was proven to be right, even when secular history had lost track of a particular city or empire. Take, for instance, the book of Jonah. Jonah, of course, was the prophet who, a story is so famous about him trying to flee God's instructions for him to go preach to the city of Nineveh. And in the course of his fleeing, he wound up thrown into the Mediterranean Sea where he was swallowed by a great fish. A lot of people talk about it as a whale, but the Bible says it was a great fish. And miraculously, the great fish uh, preserved Jonah's life. And ultimately, he was, let's just say, returned to land where God gave him a second time the instruction to go preach to Nineveh. Well, Jonah did go preach to Nineveh, and the Bible says that as a result of his preaching, the entire city of Nineveh, from the king on down, repented, and as a result, God relented on his plan to destroy the city. Well, you would have thought that would have made Jonah pretty happy, his preaching converting an entire city, but in fact, it did not. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were the mortal enemies of Israel. And that's the reason that Jonah did not want to go and preach there in the first place. The Assyrian Empire was conquered by the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar about 600 years, a little more than 600 years, before Christ was born. And after Nebuchadnezzar conquered Nineveh, conquered the Assyrian Empire, as so often happened in those ancient times, the Babylonians absolutely destroyed Nineveh, They literally left no building standing at all. Nineveh was located in what today would be the modern-day nation of Syria. And of course, under those desert conditions in a place like Syria, the sand, the wind, ultimately eroded much of the visible evidence of the ancient city of Nineveh. To make a long story a little shorter, secular history ultimately lost track of Nineveh. 
where it was located, a lot about the city, its layout. And in fact, some secular historians came to regard Nineveh as being the capital of Assyria as more or less mythological. Of course, the story of Jonah contains some fantastic elements. And so many secular historians came to regard the story that there was this great city of Nineveh that took three days to walk across. They regarded it as just another mythological element of the story of Jonah. Well, around 1845, there was a man in the Middle East who was persuaded that the Bible was accurate. And so he set out on a quest to go looking for the ancient city of Nineveh. And he finally got the permits that he needed from the local governing population. And he began digging. And in about 1845, if I remember correctly, he actually found the ruins of the city of Nineveh. So today, all historians, archaeologists throughout the world recognize that Nineveh was, in fact, the capital of a great empire, the Assyrian Empire. But for literally more than 2,000 years, the existence of the city of Nineveh was disputed among some historians. But throughout that time, of course, we had the record of it in the book of Jonah. And once again, the Bible was proven entirely correct in its description of a specific place in time and history. In a very similar way, much of the Bible's historical record not only can be tested, but has been tested. It's reasonably safe to say that there have been a vast number of archaeological discoveries that have confirmed the historicity of the Bible, whereas there has yet to be a single major archaeological discovery that disproves one of the major facts of biblical history. This is not to say that there are not legitimate differences of opinion that continue to go on. And sometimes the years are disputed, sometimes the specifics of the places are disputed, but in the main, all of the major archaeological discoveries of the last 150 years have confirmed rather than disproved the historicity of the Bible. Listeners who are particularly interested in this kind of a subject, looking into the historical accuracy of the Bible, another one of the books that's often challenged by the critics because it contains such an extensive record of history is the book of Acts. Some listeners might want to go check out an article that's available on renew.org, that's R-E-K-N-E-W.org, and they have a great article on the historicity of the book of Acts that's called, Is the Book of Acts Reliable? Sounds to me like a good time for a prayer. Today's prayer comes from another one of Crystal Sea Book's offerings, the book Purposeful Prayers. Today's prayer is Praise of the Creator. A prayer of praise for the Creator. Mighty and everlasting Father, You are a kind and merciful God. You have given us eyes to see, fingers to touch, ears to hear, and minds to understand. You bring us into the full and certain knowledge of your transcendent creative power. When men gazed at the stars and sky, they could perceive the depth, but not measure the distance. Through your grace, Man now has the ability to understand that your cosmos is more supremely complex 
and vast than ever could have been known before. What mortal mind can fathom this magnificence? Praise be to you, Father of the galaxy, and praise to your Son who created at your right hand. It is because of his descent that we will one day be lifted up. So we pray and give thanks in his name. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalcbooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.